Welcome to the second episode of the Appalachian Runner Podcast. My name is Caleb Bowen, and I have the awesome opportunity to uh, be talking to two great individuals today. Uh, we got Holly Ann Swan, who is the recent Cabin Fever 50K champion. And we have her husband, Chris Swan, who is a local cyclist getting ready for his first half Ironman triathlon. But uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing great this evening. Um, thank you for having both of us on, Caleb. Yeah. Chris, how you feeling? Feeling good. Good, good. How's that ride earlier today? It was good. It was nice. It wasn't too chilly. Uh, it's just nice to get out in some warm weather. Yeah, yeah. You know, this winter has been kind of a gross one around here. Usually you have a lot more 60-degree days, so take advantage of all the 50-degree ones that we have right now. But uh, here we are. So let's just get get it rolled into this 50K. So Cabin Fever was a 50K that I really wanted to do. You know, I'm very jealous of all the people who got to do it. Um, I was at our conference championship in Birmingham, Alabama while it was going on. But it, it was just crazy fast. I mean, the temperature is great. The course is great. It sounds like the race went really well for a lot of people. So Holly Ann, you know, what was your experience? Um, well, first off, before I even let you go, like you got seventh overall, overall with that's men and women combined, you were first female and you ran 417. Like that's crazy. You know, this was a stacked race and you ran that fast. Like, tell me about it. Well, Caleb, um, I, I really have to admit, I was super excited for this one. Um, Fayetteville is definitely one of my absolute favorite places. Um, for those who don't know me, um, I've ran Rimter over 100 miler for the past two years, which is in Fayetteville. So it's just kind of feels like home to me at this point. Um, but I have been eyeing uh, cabin fever for a while, but was skeptical at first because it took me a really long time last year to come back from Rimter over 100. Uh, so I wasn't really sure where my training would be um, this past weekend um, that soon out from the 100 miler. Mm -hmm. um, but once I started getting into the groove of training in January, uh, hopped back on the trails for the first time. Uh, I just kind of knew uh, this one was in my will help in my wheelhouse and I pulled the trigger. Um, we started the morning super early, uh, woke up around 4 a.m. and headed out to meet Brandon Perry and Charlie Bowen to carpool up to Fayetteville. Uh, we arrived for packet pickup around 7 and the race started at 9. Um, when the race started, the lead pack took off guns blazing, but um, I kind of went with it. Um, not sure if that was a really bad thing or not. Um, but I did have a lot of fun rolling with the front pack for at least the first few sections. Um, but definitely might have saved myself a few minutes by rolling it back in. Um, but then again, the first half of that 50K race was very runnable. Um, so you'd want to take advantage of, um, of that in a strategic way. Yeah, well, let me stop you right there. So the first part of the race was kind of like on roads, right? You're starting to downtown Fayetteville, right? Yeah, you're in downtown Fayetteville, and I would say that you're kind of on the road for maybe half a mile, and then um, you come into this little park mm -hmm. um, there in downtown Fayetteville, and the trail system starts immediately behind the park. 
And like the trails right there from the beginning, you know, is it hilly? Is it technical? Or is it more like runnable? Well, um, I know that um, a few weeks back, me and you and BP actually like went down and ran a little bit of the course. And um, we actually went on a different street than what the race started on. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> so, so we were all the um the street where you took your first left you immediately go uphill um but after that point um it was kind of just this flat kind of nice yeah. little okay. runnable section okay awesome yeah and you know where i ran rimmed river as well some of those trails you are familiar because they're on the same same course for the most part so from my understanding it's kind of rolly for the first few miles, but then you get to the Arrowhead aid station, right? Is it mile yeah. four? It was around mile four. Okay. Yeah. After that, you do, you take this long downhill section into the Kmore trail. Tell me about that part, like from that part to like Canard aid station. So that, that section was really fun. Um, right there Arrowhead. Um, cause the lead pack was kind of starting to, to spread out. But um, I kind of knew the, the layout of this course because there is a couple sections that are similar to the 100 miler. Similar. So, they're, they're, they are the same course. Like. <laughs> uh, not quite. Uh, the full ACE property is completely yeah, different. Yeah. Um, so you just have like Craig's Branch and mm -hmm. Southside and um, a couple sections that are the same. But having that knowledge um i knew that craig's branch was rolly but it was definitely runnable so i kind of just let myself go there um it was kind of a fun dynamic because uh, i could see a lot of the lead pack and so i because i knew it was runnable and what was coming up um i was just trying to uh, knock off as many people as i mm -hmm. could here in that section yeah yeah that's awesome so at that point, you know, you're, you can see the lead pack, uh, you know, guys, you know, probably one through let's say 10, I think or what, how big was the pack? Um, right before we got to Arrowhead, um, I did count 11, um, men in front of me. Goodness gracious. And they went out really hard, right? Yes. Yes. Very hard. Dang. So did it feel kind of intimidating mm -hmm. being with just a big pack of men or was that your game plan for from the you know, start? Um, I think it was my game plan from the start, but I was a little shocked at how many people were up there rolling from the yeah. beginning. Yeah, I mean, 11. And that's, you, you also ran 417, so that just shows how fast you guys were going. Like, Yeah, so you know, after that part, you're going towards Kennard. So tell me about that. <clears throat> um, it was just super fun um i was having a lot of flashbacks to rim to river um you know a couple of weeks before like i mentioned we went out on a training run and there was snow covering the entire trails um so i was kind of thankful that um it was just a, a lot dusting so it was a completely different experience than just a couple of weeks back on a training run um 
but definitely, in my opinion, uh, a good bit faster without having the snow s to slow me down. Yeah, so there's a, a little bit of snow, but not a whole lot. No. So what did you wear? Like, I mean, what was it, 28 degrees at the start line, right? Yeah. So you probably, like, how many layers did you wear? I wore um, a super light long sleeve by Rabbit. Um, I did go ahead in the beginning there and throw some arm sleeves on underneath mm -hmm. um, my jersey, basically. Because I knew it was something that if I did heat up too quick, I could take the arm sleeves off and put them in my vest. Um, also, um, my favorite gloves in the whole world, they're super light and thin, uh, are I just got me a new pair of rabbit gloves, um, so I had those for race morning. But probably the most important thing um, that I had were my Speedland shoes. Mm -hmm. um, this past year, uh, they have been just um, phenomenal for me in my trail running career because um, I have tried just about every trail shoe out there, yeah. trying to find uh, a shoe that works best for me. And I know that you've experienced um, <clears throat> all my elements from trail shoes. <laughs> Blisters, uh, you know, turned ankles, uh, just everything. I mean, you know, even small injuries have come from all that. So yeah, so the Speedlands, they felt pretty good. I mean, the mud, you know, they handled the mud pretty well. And yeah, they've, they've been fantastic on every terrain. I think the, the biggest thing with them is just the lack of blisters. Um, yeah. Some, some of you don't know, but Caleb and I, um, the, our first year running Rim to River, we had the <laughs> opportunity to be in a documentary. Um, it's called Into the Well. Yes. And it's uh, it's an amazing documentary, and hopefully it will come out pretty soon to the public. But we were able to watch it the night before the 100-mile uh, race this year. And we were traumatized because we got to see some things that we forgot about. You know, our brains literally just pushed it out. And I think what she's referring to is uh, there's a creek crossing at mile, what, 16-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. And we definitely downplayed that creek crossing. We thought it was going to be easy. We thought we were just going to hop across. No, we had to, like, trudge your knee deep. And whenever you run, you know, 80 more miles, it's not good for your feet to, you know, go through a creek crossing like that. So we both ended up with... You have some gnarly blisters. Um, I mean. So my um, first year running the 100 mauler uh, were Hoka Speed Goats. And um, there's a point in the documentary um, at the turnaround where I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a sock change because my feet are hurting so bad. And um, it's. It, it's traumatizing. <laughs> It's a pretty rough scene to watch um, my crew take my socks off and my whole foot is purple because I have blood blisters on every corner of every toe. And they're popping the blisters <laughs> and there's blood. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's pretty rough. Yeah. But um, all that to say that since I've transi transitioned over to Speedland, um, it was not in day what 
my feet looked like even after the full hundred miles of yeah. um, Rim to River this year. I had maybe a, a fourth of a blister on one toe. Um, it looked like I hadn't even done a trail run. So um, there you go. It's been the most important thing for me yeah. for any race. And I mean, they look great, especially on the trails. Now, one thing I was wondering about Speedland is like, whenever you like in most trail races, you're going to run on the road a little bit and on the trail. How did it handle running on the road? Are they still pretty comfortable? Yeah, I think they're super comfortable and super speedy. Um, I, I feel like it's a super smooth transition. Yeah. yeah, and it has that carbon plate in them, so that probably propels it forward too. Yeah, definitely. So that's good. Yeah, I'm a speed goat guy, so I'm going to defend my speed goats. They're comfortable as all get out, but you know, if you can prevent yourself from getting blisters, then that's the way to go. But uh, I, well, you know, so you're getting into Canard, which is mile what 18, somewhere in there. So Canard was actually around 13, 13 and oh, a half. Um, <clears throat> Erskine is the next one. That one's at 18. Okay. So at Canard, it's the very bottom of the New River Gorge National Park. And from there on, it's, you know, you have like what, a five mile stretch of just a perfect flat, like rail trail almost. It's a little technical, more technical than a rail trail, but it's just as flat. You know, was that your opportunity to get around some guys and start moving up? So at this point, um, I had kind of um, passed a couple um, there at Kmore's Monitor at the top of the hill. There's mm -hmm. kind of a, a very runnable um, up and down section before you come down into Canard. And at that point, I feel like everyone had spaced out. And <clears throat> the one person that I could see that I was working towards at that point was Danny Matheson. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of, I spent the majority of Southside Trail just kind of eyeing him and working up towards him. Um, and I think I made my way up to him at Erskine Aid Station. Okay. Awesome. So you get to Erskine. How long do you take at that aid station? I did not stop at a single aid station. That's what I like to hear. There we go. Yeah, aid stations. You know, no one needs them. <laughs> Maybe not in a 50K. You definitely need them and everything over. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm notorious for stopping at aid stations for way too long. So, but I like to refill my water bottle. I'm not sure if that's true. I, you know, I did better this year in at Rim to River, but I do. I do. I do. I grabbed a lot of random things and you know, regret that decision. But uh, so you, you get past Erskine and from then on, it seems like it's all uphill. Is that the case? Yes. So <clears throat> I think the consensus across the board for basically everyone that I talked to after the race um, was similar to mine. So up until Erskine, um, yeah, you have a couple of rollers. Um, and you're up and down the whole time, but I would consider it runnable. So on that south side junction trail that's right beside the river, I was kind of hanging out at seven minute mile pace, maybe a sub seven um, for a good bit of that section. Mm -hmm. And so my body was kind of in in a mode to to roll. And then immediately after Erskine, I was totally taken aback by uh, the super steep, I, I would probably say about 14% grade, 
hill um and there wasn't really a trail that went through that section um there's just like flags stuck in the side of the hill <laughs> and like you're on all fours yeah. climbing in the mud over these boulders so it's kind of a, a shock to the system to to be rolling um for four or five miles and then all all of a sudden um run into that i feel like the race director brian baker he just <laughs> he has to throw in some fun in there somewhere he can't make it all too easy I think I mentioned it at the finish line, and he kind of smirked. He, he yeah. knows what he's doing. He chuckled. He do. He do. So you're going up, and to be honest, it looks like most of like the elevation gain in the race was in that last probably 12 miles. Is that yeah, I would say um, the last 12 or 13, you're continuously like looking for the next little climb. Yeah. Cool. So that brings you into Concho Aid Station, which is the last one, roughly around, was it 26 miles? Or, yeah. So that's a, that's a long section from 18 to 26 uh, on a 50K course. I mean, usually you have something in between there. but So you have about five miles to go, maybe a little bit more with uh, this course. But you get into that last aid station, and you know, from the Rim to River course, like you know you're close. You know, Rim to River 100, you're at 90, like four and a half. You know, you're ready to be done. So in this race, being a 50K, what were your thoughts? You know, did you smell blood in the water? <laughs> were you, like, seeing these guys, like, starting to fold and you, like, went after them? Or? A little bit. Like, uh, I knew where I was, Tom Oz, especially being able to run that first section. So I think I was just kind of mentally coaching myself just to, to keep going. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have less than a long run left. You know, like, I've – I was counting down to the, the yeah. single digits. So, you know, you only got nine miles left and just kind of pushing through. But, you know, during that time, um, I was still kind of fighting back and forth with Danny. So um, that that definitely um, gave me some entertainment yeah. in those last few miles. But. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, she mentions Danny. We went to Grindstone 100-mile race back in September to pace one of our friends, Brandon Perry, who she mentioned earlier. He ran this 50K as well, but Danny won the Grindstone 100-miler. We watched him come through several aid stations, and he looked fantastic. So you're saying that you were racing the Grindstone 100-mile winner back and forth. Your smile. Yeah, you were. Yeah. So let me read off some just the – some of the stats on the guys that were in this race who were right in front of them. So you got Alex Miner who won the, you know, the cabin fever. He also won the Yamacraw race back in 2021. And he got third at the run wild 20 miler. He got beat by me and Dan Green. <laughs> then there's Michael Owen who got second. And I'm not even going to say what Michael Owen's done because it's, it's too lengthy. You know, he's, he's qualified for Western States. He's run some amazing races. So his, you know, it would take too long. Third place was Brad Popple from North Carolina. This guy's a 407 50K guy. He's a nine-hour uh, 100K runner and a 14, 1600-mile runner. That's pretty darn impressive. Um, fourth place was Jordan Chang. Now, you guys have probably heard about Jordan Chang. He's from Blacksburg, Virginia. He got third at Hellgate this year, Hellgate 100K. Last year, he got second place, and he has the second-fastest time all-time at the Hellgate 100K. This guy is the real deal, and he was only three minutes ahead of Holly Ann. He also got second at the Promised Land 50K. 
and he won the last West Virginia trilogy. And he was right in front of Danny Matheson, who you know, eventually got uh, fifth place. And you know he's the 2021 Grindstone winner. And then we had Tim. I uh, can't if I pronounce his name wrong. I'm sorry, but Matt Tier. He's a 708 50 miler. So these are the guys we're running with and racing. That's pretty darn impressive. <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm gloating right now. You know, Holly Ann's my uh, you know, my teammate. She's the girl I run with all the time. So I'm just proud. I'm just kind of gloating on her right now. And she won't ever say it or anything, so somebody's got to. But these are some really good guys, athletes. So these are like the best of the East right here. And you're just casually running up with them, probably making them feel bad. Like, it's awesome. So, you know, going in, you had this goal of just, just doing your best. I'm sure you had some time goal in your mind, but we, we're on the same wavelength where we really don't talk about time goals. It's just, it is what it is. Cause it's, it's the trails and you never know what's going to happen, but now you see what you've done. So how does this race kind of make you look forward to the you know, races up ahead and like the training that goes with it as well? Like, yeah, I just, uh, I really wanted to use this race as kind of a tune up race to gauge my trail fitness going into 2022. Um, so I guess my post-race thoughts, I'm just really excited with how it played out and um, excited for what's to come. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, you know, something else I also didn't mention is not only is Holly Ann, you know, an endurance athlete, but she's also the manager of a toxicology lab. And I'm going to allow Chris to talk for a little bit since he's been sitting here patiently waiting. Um, so, you know, you know, seeing your wife do so well in these races and be able to manage the toxicology lab during a kind of crazy time, you know, how has her stress levels been and like, how does your know, running help with that? Uh, so, it, you know, it's a lot to juggle. Um, when you're an endurance athlete, you have to do a lot of training, um, but her job is stressful. So uh, typically, uh, you know, she's up early in the morning getting her runs in or in the evenings after work, she's trying to get them in. I know here lately, I don't, January, did you start training with the, the team again, helping coach? That's really helped because um, I, I know from experience for both of us, we have a long day at work, you get home and you just lose all that motivation uh, to go out and get that training run in, or for me, a rod or whatnot. Um, yeah. I kind of lost myself. No, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, fortunately, like you guys have like the, the uh, computers on your bike. So if it is cold outside and you're you know, exhausted, you could hop on the bike, you know, indoors, but Definitely. you know, for you, especially, it's probably nice whenever it is warm outside to be able to kind of be free and the, you know, just experience life for a little bit instead of being in the lab. I guess that's one thing we we have a membership to the YMCA, but you won't ever see her on a treadmill. It doesn't nah. matter if it's negative three degrees outside, if it's snowing, if it's raining, ice storm, it, ice storm. It, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, she's going to run outside, which I mean that that really prepares you for race day. Anything could happen. Most, most ultra races, they don't get canceled for that kind of stuff. Nope. Um, so you have to go out and endure it. And what better way to, to get prepared than to just 
go out there and, and do it every day. Yep. You know, and we've had a really good training block this past, like for since Rim to River, like since you've come back from Rim to River, you know, if you look at our Strava uh, map, it looks just like a, a big mountain because it just gradually increases each week. I think we topped out at what, 85? Maybe, or maybe it was there. a little under that, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's was, it was in the low, eight, or low to mid 80s. Um, and then that was even to the point of the week of the race. And then this past week, she took off a, a day, you know, had to recover, you know, and still got 75 miles. So it's been a good training block. I'm really excited that you've been able to handle it very well. I mean, we haven't done a whole lot of workouts. Just she's been running with our cross country team here at Marshall. And that's helped us a lot and probably helps her a lot too. But you know, for the most part, it's just steady mileage. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see her go into this next phase of training where start leading up to some of the, you know, more of the goal races. And, you know, what, what are your goals in training for the next, like, probably month and a half? Um, I, I think I just want to keep um, building up to, so like he had just mentioned, the the last few weeks we we got up into the 80s um even in the fall leading up to the 100 miler i wasn't anywhere close no. to that um that anything over 80 is my um all all time or lifetime uh <laughs> weekly mileage yeah. and so it has been really exciting um to watch you know like my body kind of mold to to that mileage and and do well at um that distance so i think um my goal is just to kind of um hang out there and you know not push myself too much but um you know really really focus on the small stuff and mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely definitely and the main thing is just staying healthy you know, I mean, things happen and, you you know, turning your ankle or whatnot, but it just seems like, you know, so far we've done a really good job of keeping you healthy. Um, and that's something that in an ultra races, if you go to the line hurt, it's not usually going to end well. So having that, you know, just being able to get to the line, feeling good, feeling fresh, like that's, that's our goal for whenever you, you know, your next race, which is, you know, the gorgeous hundred K. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a fun time. You know, I got some really good stuff playing up ahead. All right, so, like, let's take a step back for a moment. You know, you, you've been a runner for a few years now, but, like, in high school, you know, you did a whole lot of sports. I mean, I remember you telling me you did, like, golf, you did softball. So, yeah, tell me, like, what sports did you all do uh, down in Alabama? And, you know, how did it lead to running? Yeah, um... Definitely, uh, I know I've joked about it with you before, but um, I think maybe I'm finally catching up now, but I definitely had significantly more experience with basketball yeah. <laughs> than I did running. Trust me. From the point that I could pick up a, a basketball, um, I was playing until um, the later years of high school, and mm -hmm. I haven't been a runner for too long um but you know i did start um later in high school but um just 
to name off a few of my sports, you know, I was in volleyball, basketball, I played golf, um, I ran track, I played soccer, um, I mean, and then extracurriculars like um, ballet, tap, um, piano, voice. I was, I was kind of always on the move. You're making me look bad. Like, I, <laughs> I literally just ran. Like my parents put me in cross country when I was in sixth grade, and that was it. Like nothing else. You know, youth group, running. That's it. Wasn't. Well, I, I mean, I was in band for two years, I guess. But other than that, I really didn't do like anything else. I know, like. My, my brother was a huge influence uh, with getting me into strictly running, but uh, running's just kind of where uh, I felt the most joy. And I know in high school, I kind of like um, battled with some bouts of depression and um, I found that running was just kind of my way to get away from it all um, it brought me joy. It was my my time to kind of pray, and um, it's, yeah. it just kind of it was my puzzle piece, um, what I needed in yeah, my life. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and I think we all kind of experience that. You know, we find something that we truly love, and that's our time to get away from it all. You know, when I'm stressed, what do I do? I get run. You know. Usually I text you to see if you want to get run, then we get run, or you know, try to go outside in the woods and just get away from it all and enjoy nature. So yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and uh, you know, starting you running, you were in track because her her uh, school didn't have cross country; they just had track, which you know is a little different because usually it's the opposite. Usually you have a cross country team and not a track team, but. Um, you know, you made some huge improvements from high school to college and then from college to, you know, post-collegiate. But I don't know if many people know exactly how much you improved. You know, I, I was wanting to go and look back at the times, but I don't want to embarrass her. But it was a it was a huge improvement. Uh, but then when she went to college, you know, she had uh, a couple of different coaches. But really one that stuck out was, was it your junior year when Ryan, Coach Thompson, came in? Um, it was – after cross season, so I okay. have one one cross season with him, but yeah. he did come halfway through my junior year. Yeah, so you know, Co- Coach Thompson took. Oh, okay, I'll say it. She ran twelve fifty three in the thirty two hundred meter her senior year, which that's not bad. That's good, you know. But she went from twelve fifty three to seventeen twenty one in the five k, thirty seven twenty seven. You know, Coach Thompson helped her go. 1253 to that in just a couple of years, you know, that's, that's amazing. You know, that's a, that's a huge, huge step. And uh, then from then on, you know, you came in, you know, fortunately for me, I would recruit you to come to Marshall for your uh, master's degree. And we were able to get you from that to 1711 and 3527. And, you know, if maybe you had a better coach, we could have got you even farther down, but Hey, I did my best. I don't know about that. And then, you know, from then on, you you went to run two forty five in the marathon, and you know, running four hundred one in the fifty k at Grayson Highlands. You know, nineteen hours in the hundred mile. So, how was that possible? Like, how were you able to make that, that improvement? So, I guess I can reel it back to the beginning. Um, I'm I'm not sure if I could ever fully credit myself for 
or any of these achievements. Um, it's definitely taken an army, but back in high school, I just, I love to run. Um, but that was kind of the extent of my knowledge. Um, I was just running a couple miles here and there because I enjoyed it without really any structure at all. Uh, that 12.53 might not sound or look very impressive, um, but the year prior I was in the 14s. <laughs> um, so I met and sat down with Eric Sanders leading up to my senior year, and he wanted to help me make it and excel at state. Wait, wait, who's Eric Sanders, though? Um, he was kind of a, a mentor that I had. Okay. And so he wasn't even a coach, he really. He just was a guy that knew some, a little bit about running and kind of. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But he pulled all the stats of the times of everyone in my section of state okay. from the prior year in the 3200, and um, we kind of worked out we set out to work up that list um and he kind of wrote me a, a small plan and um ended up you know helping me lose over a minute um, mm -hmm. off my pr and ultimately helped me get to that next stage of life which was running in college um and in, in college i had the opportunity to be part of a basically brand new program and um, because we were smaller it gave me a lot of encouragement through those first few years to keep pushing and progressing because I felt like I was making a difference on that smaller squad. Yeah, because you're one of the top <laughs> runners. You know, you're yeah. you know, contributing to the you know, team's score pretty well. You know, you're probably one, one through three, I would say. But I had a lot of folks that kind of helped build me up those first three years of college. Um, but it was really phenomenal to see what Ron could do for me in just one year that last year at AOM. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coach, yeah, I, I got the opportunity to talk to Coach Thompson a few times now. And he, he's, you know, he just gloats all on and on about how excited he was about you. So, how did he channel your excitement? You know, he, he probably came in, he saw that you're, you're pretty talented, you're doing really well. But how did he get you really excited and, you know, love the sport that you come to love now and how, how do you show you that you can improve that much? Well, he, um, he brought a wealth of knowledge, um, being a previously division one coach, um, that was kind of exactly what I needed to mold me into the runner, um, that I would become, but that wasn't all. Um, one of the greatest things that makes a coach athlete, relationship successful is trust and I kind of completely bought into everything he said to me and gave me and we both wholeheartedly trusted each other um, so it was just so incredible to have someone believe in what I could accomplish almost more than I could as an athlete um, it was just crazy the impact he had even on my mentality. Uh, I might finish a workout and be a little disappointed in an aspect of it, but he was super excited. So I, that would end up changing my outlook on the workout completely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chris, because Chris also ran for AUM as well. So he got to, he got to experience, you know, coach Thompson's training as well. Um, you know, how did coach Thompson inspire you? You know, he's just a great guy. Um, and, and you, how to provide the, the proper guidance that we didn't really 
have initially the first couple of years. Um, you know, he was there for us at practice. He would crunch the numbers for us and he was fantastic at um, predicting mm-hmm. what, especially for Holly Ann. I was injured most of the time, so uh, not really so much for myself, but for Holly Ann, you know, it, she could go do several workouts coming up to the next race. He'd say, hey, look, you're, you have the ability to run 1730 or whatever it may be. And sure enough, she'd go out there and do it. And again, I think that goes back to trust. She, she mm-hmm. trusted that he knew what he was talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think he just showed that he cared a lot. Yeah. You know, from the moment he stepped in, that he, like, she knew, like, okay, you know, this guy knows what he's doing, but he also cares a lot. And I think that's a really big thing with the coach athlete relationship. You know, and hopefully the whole team kind of saw that too. You know, I, the team wasn't very big at the time, I don't think. Yeah. So, but now it seems to be growing more and more. I mean, they're a Division two team down in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, what conference are they in now? It's the same one as like Gulf South. Gulf South, yeah. So that's a very competitive uh, conference. I mean, Huntsville, Montevallo, you name it. They're like they got some really good teams down there. But uh, you know, you know, since you've been with me, so I've had the opportunity to work with Holly Ann now since twenty was it eighteen? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm training you since then. Um, how have I helped you? Now this is kind of weird because I'm, you know, sitting here. I'm sitting here right now, so maybe I should leave and have Chris finish it out. But, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. You know, no. hopefully it helped you. I don't know. Well, uh, similar to Ron, we've we've had a pretty powerful, in my opinion, uh, coach athlete relationship. Uh, we tend to be on the same wavelengths with about everything um, <laughs> what do you mean by that oh <laughs> uh, well, i don't know <laughs> I've, I've, well what I i've noticed like many least. people probably don't really understand what that means but okay we've, well we've we've come so in sync with like our workouts and training and races that um we don't even like typically talk about time expectations which i, I think you kind of mentioned there at the beginning mm-hmm. Um, but for workouts and races, but afterwards, when we discuss a race, we'll find that we both kind of have the same thing in mind. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And like for most of the workouts, I've noticed Holly Ann gets a little anxious whenever we do have time goals, because, you know, if, if you don't hit it, it seems like a failure, which is you know, never true. But, you know, in, instead of doing that, we just kind of have this agreed, like, all right, I think I know what she's going to try to do. So I'm going to just run with her and then. Ultimately, at the end of the time, at the end of the workout, we're like, "Were you trying to hit this pace?" Yeah, that's what I thought. Cool. It's it's, it's pretty and, weird, but it's a neat dynamic. Yeah, and like it's kind of the same thing for races too, and it's a little bit easier like when you're going for like an Olympic trials qualifier time because that's the set time. Like we don't even have to talk about it because that's it. Uh, but in trails, it's a little bit different because every trail is different. I mean. Not even trail, like trail races, if it's a 50K, it may be 30 miles, might be 32 miles, who knows? So it's a little bit harder to have time goals, but you know, we, we usually do our research. We have a good expectation of what we want to do. Um, and I'm the same way with her too. I don't have to tell her what I want to run because she usually already knows. But yes, yeah, so I think it, it's been a really fun 
opportunity to run and work with you a good bit. So, and, and to be honest, it's it's more for me than it's for her because I need somebody to do that to me too. You know, I need to have somebody that's going to put, you know, put me to shame on a day that I'm not feeling very good and make me cry whenever I, you know, start slacking off. You know, oh. she, if I'm ever feeling bad, Holly Ann's the person that will <laughs> push the pace harder. She, no. She's very sadistic. She really likes to make me hurt. And the, to the point where I have like a tear in my eye, I'm like, all right, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do it. And just like, I kind of stop. He always yeah. says, I, I smell blood. <laughs> she smells blood and she goes for it. And, you know, it's great. Except for whenever I'm actually in it at that moment, it's not great. But afterwards, I, I think I, I'll take one for the team, I guess. But all right, so you know, what would you say is the key, like internal, I guess, attribute in pushing your limits and trying to reach new heights, trying to set personal records and all of that? Like, what do you got deep down that helps you do that? Oh, well, that's definitely a tough question. Um, I mean, you're uh, one thing I was thinking, you know, whenever I was actually like thinking about this podcast is just how competitive you are, you know, something deep down in you is like, instilled like, it's not really competitive against other people. It's like, you just want to get the most out of yourself. You want to push yourself to see how fast you can go. See what, you know, what time you can hit. You know, I mean, would you agree with that or? I agree. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I could say it any better. Yeah. I mean, Chris could probably tell you more than that, but it just seems like anytime there's a challenge that is put in front of you, you know, if somebody says like, I don't think she can run that fast. I can guarantee that you're going to try to prove them wrong. <laughs> it doesn't matter really what it's about or anything. It could be like who can chew the most bubble gum at one time. Like you would just set out to try to do it just because you're going to test your limit. I guess a, a funny story with that was, um, what was it my first year volunteering coaching maybe or maybe it was my senior year i can't remember we oh. had a <laughs> for some reason after practice during our ab workout we had a, a plank contest if you could do it the longest yeah that was your first year and coaching. i don't <laughs> i don't know if i've ever like had that, even done a plank in a year but i was i was gonna kill myself to win that competition she won she won. How, how long did you go? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It was, it was upwards of going towards 20 minutes. Yeah, for sure. yeah, I definitely, I, I get five minutes. I can't, I can't get anymore. It was so funny because, like, who was, who were you going against? Me and Mary Kirby. Yeah, Mary, like, they're both shaking and, like, <laughs> quivering, and we're like, please stop so we can go home. <laughs> All right, so, you know, lastly, this is kind of, like, the most exciting part of the segment, you know. Mostly everybody at this point who knows you knows that you're a marathoner, an ultra marathoner. You're somebody that runs, you know, close to 245 in the marathon and, you know, is blazing the trails. But what they may not know is that you actually have done a couple of triathlons at this point. And, you know, in this past year, you won the two triathlon slash duathlon that you did uh, last summer, you know, the Ohio State Games duathlon and the Scenic Mountain Triathlon last year. So, you know, you're gearing up for your first half Ironman with Chris uh, and a couple other people from the triathlon community down in Chattanooga. You know, why is the triathlon so important to you? 
And like, how do you think it helps you become, you know, just a more well-rounded athlete, you know, not just a runner, but you're also somebody who can do a couple different things. Mm, I, I think there's several reasons. Um, I'm not immune to burnout. Um, I'm like everyone else. Um, I like to have other outlets when I do need a mental break and I, I genuinely love cycling. Um, it's something that, like you said, um, is my husband who's here, Chris's favorite sport. So, uh, it's also good to just share some miles with him here and there. <clears throat> um, you mean swimming is not your favorite? <laughs> no, not what? at all. <laughs> I think swimming's Chris's favorite. Uh, I don't even know if I can swim yet. So. Yeah, have you been out in the wire yet? Uh, I plan to go tomorrow. So. Plan to. We'll see. I'll just do. Well, uh, I, I just think it's awesome to have multiple sports that I'm pursuing. And I kind of, more than anything, I hope I can encourage others that you don't have to settle for one sport if you do have multiple interests. And the sky's kind of the limit for what you can achieve but yeah. you know also with triathlon i feel like cycling and swimming also kind of help cross train and oh yeah and definitely kind of help keep me prevent me from injury yeah definitely you know you mentioned burnout which that's something that we've all experienced at some point as a runner you know and i remember very distinctly you know from fall 2019 to you know spring 2020 we are tra- we are chasing the olympic trials qualifying time which is it was, at the time was 245 and we ran three mar- or we were going to run three marathons in like four months five months and i could tell you like i mean your goal was to get that that time so it, it made sense but we were really pushing the limits on you know mental health and you know, just, I could see your drive and motivation kind of slipping away. So it'd been really, I mean, hindsight being 2020, obviously, but you know, it might've been a great time to take a step back and really do focus on something like a triathlon. Just, you know, it keeps you in shape, but it also just shifts your focus on something else other than that one goal that you, that, that was all you thought about, you know, what do you think? Like, how was that time? Is it comparable to what you're talking about now or? Yeah, so when I'm talking about, like, using um, different sports, so, you know, I'm a road runner, I'm a trail runner, and I feel like I'm a triathlete, and um, at that time, I was solely solely focused on road running, and I had for Mm -hmm. a very long time, uh, two two years post-collegiately at least, um, I kind of had my thoughts completely focused on marathoning. And like you said, we had three marathons planned within mm-hmm. just a couple of months. Yeah. And so um, when, you know, the pandemic hit that caused um, Boston to be canceled. Mm-hmm. So kind of like those three marathons were, were fleeting and that kind of made me realize, hey, I, I do need a mental break here um, where I don't have to fully train for a marathon anymore because I, now I don't have one coming up. And um, now that past winter, I had went on my basically first trail run mm-hmm. and it was something that I was head over heels for. So instead of, you know, 
experience burnout alone um, and fully taking off from running, um, I decided, you know, hey, I'm going to, I really love trail running. So I'm going to see what I can do there and just started. The rest is history. Yeah. It was, it was really cool because, uh, you know, COVID kind of hit. No one knew what was going on. And one of our buddies, Daniel Crow, who you know, actually ended up, you know, crewing us at the, uh, you know, helped help crewing us at the first room the river, you know, just asked if he wanted to go to uh, Beach Fork after church one day. So we went off and we ran. And he was actually disappointed that Holly Ann was actually <laughs> st sticking with us because Daniel can only run trails. He's not a very fast road runner and we love him to death. But, you know, he, he prides himself in being a very good downhill runner. And Holly Ann stuck with him. And I don't know if he was very happy about it, but, you know, I think he's a lot more happy now knowing how far you've come. <laughs> yeah, I think that day after we finished, he, he was like, man, like, I knew you were fast on the on the road, but I was hoping that <laughs> you know. I could uh, keep up with y'all on the trails. And I don't he know. that wrong. <laughs> that kind of stuck with me. Cause yeah. That, I mean, that day I was like, well, you know, I didn't really feel like I was all that great at trails, but, you know, when he said that, I kind of kept that in the back of my mind, and that definitely was a, a driving factor that helped me want to mm -hmm. see what I could do. And, yeah, and, you know, we ran a, actually just a trail run at Barbersville Park later that summer, and I remember telling you, like, goodness, you're so much better at the technical stuff than I am. Like, I feel like I'm a slow, I don't even know what, I was going to say deer, but deer is way too fast. Like it's somewhere in between a deer and a sloth. Like I just feel like oh my I God. my stride is so long and you know just awkward that sometimes on the technical stuff going downhill, I just can't do it. So I just crawl down. And there you go, just taking off. Like see me, see you later, alligator type thing. And it's a little frustrating, but uh, you know I usually try to catch back up on a on a hill. But I remember telling you at that point, like hey you're pretty good at the technical stuff. I never really thought you would, but it, it just came naturally. And here you are running, you know, 50Ks and stuff. So it's kind of fun, kind of fun to see. Well, you know, that's really all I got. So, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, hopefully the listeners learned a lot about you. You learned more about the Cabin Fever 50K and kind of like what brought you up to that point. Um, you know, we're definitely going to have a, a podcast with Chris and Holly and a few other members of the triathlon community before Chattanooga, you know, their first half Ironman, which that may, was it? 20, May 22nd. May 22nd. So we'll probably do it sometime, you know, a week or two beforehand. Uh, but until then, you know, we're going to hammer out some miles, you know, get ready for gorgeous. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you next time.